Welcome to Tactical Permaculture. I've worked on projects ranging from the poorest to richest clients, from inner cities to suburbs to farmlands to remote wilderness, from the eco-war front lines to celebrity backyards. In over 25 years of service to the earth and the community of life, I've learned that in the fight for sustainable survival, growing is half the battle. Please go to tacticalpermaculture.com to read my blog, watch my videos, view my photos, access web applications, and click on the join membership link to access exclusive features. September 8th, 2023, episode 84. It is almost 8 p.m. and it is still 100 degrees Fahrenheit down from a a peak of 110 today and uh this has been a uh un- unwelcome return of excruciating tormenting and torturous heat the last couple of days after <laughs> what i had just in a previous episode described as the uh the 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 the, fi- the long awaited return of some coolness at least at night so where I could actually not be losing my mind and actually sleep a little bit and so yeah the heat is back and I don't know how long it's gonna do this for but I figured I all I can do to remediate this at all is just try to stay occupied if I can be occupied then I can be focused on a task and not just focused on time moving by as slowly as it ever has and being brutally tortured by the heat um which i just spent three months doing and uh and now the interesting twist plot twist has been that uh, i'm suffering from the first chapter ever in my life of being unable to stand or walk and so this is going to be an episode talking about what it's like now one week into a a life of being unable to stand or walk, a life of having pain pretty much everywhere that any type of exertion is, is attempted to be made from head to toe. Um, that compounds in 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 a drastic um, J exponential J curve of pain and and um, and and debilitation and cognitive loss. Every every inch of an angle that that my head rises above my feet. So in other words, any if I'm laying totally flat, that's where there is the least amount of pain to move anything, but it's still painful and it's still agonizing. And then often, yeah, as you would guess, what you end up having to do is kind of monkey around holding on to something to try to hoist yourself up a little bit to try to reach something that's not in reach 
and that is just it just wipes you out and it and it's um yeah day and night it's i'm 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 blessed to be in a place where i can scream almost as loud as i as i i mean I, yeah i don't know I mean, i'm not pushing it the, the screaming but uh i'm trying to i hold back this i hold back the agonizing barbaric yelps because sound does carry in the flat desert a lot i mean i've heard yeah it's it's surprising it's surprising how telephonically uh adept the the air is out in the flat desert with nothing to to, to block it or bounce off of but so far so good nobody has complained who is within distant potential earshot <clears throat> and you know there's coyotes there's dogs there's birds i'm just another fucking wild animal uh who is uh making noises out here but yeah the status is if i am going to try to be somewhat systematic in enumerating a I don't know if it'll necessarily be concise, but it will le- it'll at least be somewhat systematic. Yeah, yeah, it'll be comp- comprehensive, but systematic sort of um, pseudo-scientific armchair amateur medical survival, survival medical kind of like what I would say to a doctor if I was talking to one right now, you know, um, about how I would want to help save them some time and have them understand in my words um what's going on and where things are at so so basically yeah it's been about exactly a week since i did it did a report in the form of a show episode where i talked about the final um drops of might that i had left to stand and pull myself upright at all enough, enough to be able to reassemble my camp for what I understood to be a potential of weeks to months of of the inability to use my to, to stand up and walk. I, I'm going to say it that way because when I'm fully laid back, um, I basically like right now I'm not feeling any pain because I'm totally laid back and reclined, and I'm not trying to grab anything or pull myself up or, 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 or even adjust my body at all or, or adjust the fabric underneath my body weight because trying to lift my body weight with my legs and my torso and my elbows and my arm, whatever, to try to like pull a, blan- pull a, a, a towel or a blanket in any direction or whatever, that, it, it, it makes you scream. It's so painful. Um, but I can do this sort of crab crawl, even though the, even though it's extremely painful to move the legs at all, there is no apparent neurologic nerve damage or paralysis and, and everything seems to function theoretically like it could go all the way back to normal. It's just obstructed by this horrific kind of never-ending charlie horse cramp contraction that limits the full range of flexion and is basically stuck in in a state of a cramp 
um, and I'm able to fully stretch out slowly throughout the day a number of times I will fully stretch out slowly my right leg which is a little less than half as severely affected in terms of pain and 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 loss of range of motion I'm not gonna say loss of function because if I had to stand up I could do it but it would last for about a split second before I dropped dead weight and broke my head open and died so <laughs> I'm not gonna do that anymore <laughs> until a few things indications give me confidence that it's okay to even try that but at the very least first thing I did when I started noticing that was say avoid the concrete pad like the plague and do whatever you got to do if you're going to do anything over the desert sand where if you you need to do a face plant it's not going to knock your teeth out or break your skull or crack your spine or your pelvis or whatever so that's been the that's been the the deal and so yeah the the upper body is unaffected by the the what I'm going to have to call borderline acute exertional compartment syndrome, which I am going to mention in the title of this show so that it's a bit of a, I put a pin in it in the history of this, what I'm not, what I, what I, what I told my friend the other day was like, I think what I'm doing is, is extreme climate journalism. And, uh, and you know what? There's, there's people who, uh, yeah. They, they risk injury in sports, they risk injury in war, they risk injury in journalism, they risk inj- injury in being explorers and adventurers and naturalists. What I feel like I'm doing is I'm doing extreme off-road, off-grid, desert permaculture, and that's, and I'm taking a perspective from my mentorship within ex-military, and I'm taking a, a paramilitaristic approach to mindset and mission resilience and all these things that you would have to have for a mission to supersede the bitchiness that is hard to conquer unless you have a higher purpose. And so, yeah, if I was just out here to plant some trees in the desert and see if see who died first, me or them, for kicks and giggles, it would be a different mindset than me feeling like there's purpose and duty and honor in what I'm doing and that it's going to be a part of enhancing the research and development that feeds back into national security and as a as a as a freelance outside I'm not going to say I'm a I'm not I'm no one's paying me so I'm not I'm not uh, what I just I just heard the term today as Cuba was denying um officially denying state sponsorship of the term that I heard, I heard for the first time them being used, which is uh, mercenaryism. So yeah, no, I'm not a mercenary because no one's paying me, but I'm a volunteer, auxiliary, paramilitary, militiaman of one with no affiliations to any domestic violent extremist organizations. And what I'm trying to do is to push the limits of human performance and and document it so that it can feed back into into the work we need to do as eco warriors and 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 even 
is just sort of a byproduct. Those who are uh, who are actually nature people who are in the military, not just kind of monocrop, big chem ag farmers. People kind of stereotype it as that, but I'm talking about the people who are the rangers that know not just how to do like kill a crocodile with their bare hands but know how to heal themselves with herbs and stuff like that so that's the intersection here is like hippie permaculture eco down to earth even woo woo spiritual that's more of my background but i know that there are people in the military who are not totally knuckleheads who understand the value of nuance when it when it comes to operating the outdoors is one hashtag that's coming about recently so i'm operating the outdoors I'm I'm on no one's payroll and I'm not representing any brand. I'm doing this completely freelance on my own. But I will tell you that, yes, it was interesting to discover that exertional compartmental syndrome and certainly this interesting intersection of the acute diagnosis uh, on the borderline of the chronic or exertional diagnosis, which typically means, oh, when you stop running... For example, um, when you get off your legs and you stop running, then that Charlie horse just goes away within a few minutes of, of stopping running. The thing is, it just recurs, and then you discover that you may need to do some sports medicine and adjust your gait and things like that. Very light intervention. It's not an emergency. It's not surgical, per se. Usually, what is the surgical emergency is the acute version, and what is seems to be rare, but possible is that without any crush injury, without any impact, without falling, I've given myself just by pure beast mode with no acute moment of any kind of impact. It was the process of by hand before the temperature rose to what I to what would be a debilitating temperature to, to work in. I went into extreme hyper beast mode and gave myself the symptomology of acute exertional syndrome purely by exertion in both legs from from upper thigh to toe over the course of a few hours on one day and then within about as 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 it seems typical within about 48 hours that's when the onset of the symptoms become undeniably so extreme that there's no that that you're done you you, you I mean for yeah you're you're your life has been altered <laughs> to put it put it to put it bluntly but over the course of, of this week, what I have done is I've had to do a little bit of um, sounding some alarm bells to reorchestrate some of my logistics because I have some support staff that I hire to help me with resupplies. And the plan that's worked out very well is for me to meet them at the road and for them to procure resources from civilization that I need that I'm not yet totally free of 
by being regenerative 100%, not nowhere near close to that goal. So I have to import, and now it's got to a basically a once, once or twice a year cycle. The problem now is that I don't, I I can't trust that at this scheduled time for those deliveries on this cycle that I will be able to drive, that I'll be able to walk, that I'll be able to move anything. So there there, there had to be a major reckoning and, and, and re-engineering of this kind of minimal support staff that I have been working with in order to adapt, to improvise, adapt, and overcome to the circumstances. And basically with some... Yeah, with the, with a few calls and some brainstorming, we arrived at a strategy that seems like it's going to work. So that worst case scenario is, it's not just weeks, but it's months, and 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 I will be feeling lucky if the the sta- the stabilization of symptomology that I have right now one week in is just at least at that baseline, this new baseline of it's possible to not just manage pain, but to, but to be configured so that I don't, so that there's no pain and then to mitigate activities and minimize them and make them so efficient. The basic things you can't avoid about life, you know, things going in one end and out the other kind of stuff. Those things just optimizing them to to be as flat as possible as fast as possible and as and as requiring of the least amount of exertion as possible and over the course of this week it doesn't feel like it's gotten better or worse the only thing that's fluctuated is the temperature to where when the temperature drops below 85 i feel like there's a a, a, an army of angels flying down to do magic Reiki healing work from the inside out all throughout my body and I just feel like I've never felt so blessed and so cared for just by really technically the body just having a bit of respite to go into some homeostasis and do some repair of tissue and then of course to be able to have your mind kind of wander back to you like a lost dog scratching at the door and to just be in such a state of post-traumatic stress where it's like, I did not know how bad I was being railroaded by the heat and this injury and adapting to it so that when it there was a brief moment of coolness to where there was any contrast, you're just, you just almost numb out. And, then I, and I have PTSD from a lot of different things and it's... And it's a scary and, and and very disturbing state when the acute trauma ends and you're you're not back to normal by any means. You're not back to any kind of baseline. You're just in the absence of the acute trauma. And in the absence of the acute trauma, it's almost weirder in a way because you had just adapted to the trauma. And now you have to adapt to the lack of the trauma. And without speaking of anything twisted and emotional that happens in human relationships, just physical trauma, torture and whatnot of any kind, accidents or 
temperatures or just extreme wilderness stuff, whatever. It's it, it is uh, it's quite an experience. Um, right now, like I said, I'm just happy. I'm just grateful that I've been barely able to do this on my own without tapping out for a medevac and going back to what I call the bankruptcy machine. Because if I leave here and there was any doubt in my mind that I could have nursed myself back to health without leaving here, the difference is going to be bankruptcy, losing the land, having no no nest egg, and being maybe in a wheelchair under a bridge on Skid Row busking for spare change. And I've been homeless many chapters in my life. I've done a lot of spare changing, but I'm not as cute and, and androgynous as, as I was when I was 12. So good luck with that. And I had lengthy conversations with people who were trying to just hand wave it off and say, oh, just go to the hospital, you know? No, they would basically at this point, because there's apparently about an eight hour window of acute compartment syndrome where it's advisable to do any kind of incision surgery to release the pressure. Um, because after that, the pooling of basically dead blood, the the potential for that dead blood, which cannot heal itself and is a liability for it to get infected and become gangrenous and result in amputation, it's ill-advised. So basically, if I was going to, if there was, if it was in the cards, which it was never in the cards to go to the hospital, it, the eight-hour window passed about, about two weeks ago. So yeah, a number of almost two weeks ago now, because there were, there were a few days that I was able to that I didn't know what was happening and I and, and, and I was still able to um, walk around kind of with a cane but very but but I would just face plant and end up crawling and yeah my YouTube videos show the progression <laughs> and now I'm not gonna make a video of it because it's too mortifying and grim but yeah you see me staggering and then you see me dragging myself and and crawling and and then you and then where it's at now which I'm not going to depict is where if I want to retrieve any object that I that's scattered about on the landscape I've got to do it before the sun is up cuz even if the sun goes down at night it's 100 degrees right now so if it's like 90 in the morning before the sun comes up I, I've been able to kind of crab crawl and scoot myself and drag myself around to do a couple of minimal things like grab the the, the battery jumper box that was getting rained on and, and baked in the sun and luckily it still works and so that's a miracle and do things like just round up a couple of objects uh, that that uh, that I've needed to rely on but it took great courage to do that because of how painful and how dangerous it, it's it's been but uh today the most um 
Oh yeah, so the visual of where I'm at today with mobility is that uh, I have about a two inch bamboo pole that's about six feet long. And I use that as essentially, like if you were in a wheelchair, you would be, in order to use the restroom uh, toilet or to take a shower in a seated position. I've been in hospitals for medical studies, so I know how this works. I was never debilitated during those studies, uh, thankfully. I mean, it's kind of the whole point of it to find out if you would be or not. But luckily, I never was. And, uh, and I owe that. I owe my selling out and my selling of my blood, the blood money that I sold for, for into that industry. I, I owe them to have the freedom that I have now. And I hope I'm hoping I'm I'm cleaning it up karmically by doing the good work that I'm doing now in service to the earth. But needless that all that to say, I've spent I don't know how many, at least a couple dozen or more between one and one day and two week stays in the hospital under tight observation um, doing uh, experimental drugs, drug studies as a volunteer, but it paid a lot of money. So it helped a starving, a starving artist out a lot and it helped, it helped an a, uh, emerging technology investor out a lot at the right time. But with that said, I took a lot of notes about it and I was very keenly aware about it. I mean, if it's like, think about, was it Polonia? Uh, the, uh, Chuck Poloniak, is that the this pronunciation of the Fight Club author? But basically an amalgamation of really bizarre life experiences that lead to a bizarre narrative. Yeah, so for me, the equivalent of that is me always being able to reference my bizarre experiences in the medical studies as a lab rat. And they weren't, there was nothing that extreme except for one time when it was like, there was like a, I don't know, six week or six month long study of mostly schizophrenics. So... I never was accosted and I generally get along with folks, you know, on the fringe because I'm one of them in certain ways. But uh, yeah, even then it was relatively uneventful. And uh, there were a few real close calls for me in terms of the studies being things like spinal taps or things that would have maybe killed me. And even one that was going to potentially disable my entire immune system right before the COVID pandemic hit. And by some miracle, my heart rate measurement was out of range just ever so slightly to where they chose to put it back up in instead of me just so they could basically fudge the numbers more easily because they want they want everything to look normal and if you're you know normally sort of slightly out of range then you're on the b list you know but anyway i could go on forever about all that that fun stuff but i made it out alive and hopefully Nothing is going to creep up on me, but but I I learned a lot about a sort of um, medical kind of duty of care stuff. I mean, I saw I spent a lot of time with these nurses and got to flirt with them. Of course, that was the best part. Um, I did get one nurse phone number, uh, but it just it, it just wasn't the the perfect match. But believe me, it was very exciting. And oh yeah, I'm just okay stopping there, but. The important point is to talk about the understanding that I would, and most people would overlook, is handrails, the, uh, the, the, all of the laws governing accessibility. Now my ableism is in full relief because I have to get it like I never did before. I've never, I've been in car accidents that I 
a, just a, just a, a couple few and I, I was able to walk away from them all with just minor cuts bruises and scratches kind of a, a bit of a whiplash on one of them but I've never been in a car accident to where I couldn't you know stand, get up and walk walk away from it and a lot of people have and I've, the statistics are so mortifying you don't even want to know them because you would stop driving as I pretty much have and want to keep it that way as long as possible or at least minimize driving as much as possible but now I feel the pain and I have to commiserate with in this new chapter of my life of doing what people in wheelchairs have to do who have little to no use of their legs and they have to lift themselves with their upper body strength hoping that there's no other conditions that inhibit that strength which I have drastically right now my normal upper body strength is all gone so it's extremely painful and agonizing to do anything but what I'm relying on is this phys- these physics of inclined planes these physics of of these rails and whatnot so I have this bamboo two inch six foot rail that I use to scoot myself as an inclined plane, I have to grasp it with both hands and then inch by inch kind of shimmy scoot up and up and down it, hoping not to hoping that it doesn't slip, that I lose my grip, and that I break my tailbone and drop several feet onto onto the cement between the two planes that I have to um that are about a, about a foot and a half apart, both in 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 um, height and in distance, if that makes sense. But basically, there's this gap that I it was impossible. It, it basically, it was it, I had to live with it. I had to live with it, and I'm okay with it because it's it's necessary, but it is also a bit of a a grim reality that I have to traverse that gap let's say twice a day and um, wish me luck on that I'm going to be adapting that to be more secure the, f- the thing is it's like such a no brainer <laughs> in a normal day of any normal life uh, or any normal day of my life before this injury scenario I would be able to backflip over that gap. I would be able to do breakdancing over it. I would be able to lunge over it to to uh, ninja roll forward and backwards. It it would be a no-brainer. I mean, you just it's like it's like a step. You know, it's like one step. Although it's a kind of a, a a little bit longer, a little bit taller of a step, but that should be no problem. I have succeeded at. At, at kind of hurling myself forward so that my upper body, upper torso is positioned on the on the upper plane, but then with such lack of leg strength and arm strength, I, I'm almost kind of stuck there. And the the ergonomics and the mechanics of trying to wiggle myself on the front of my torso up and over 
it's it's uh, it's 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 demoralizing and embarrassing and painful. So this bamboo, one of those things where it's it could have easily been far out of range somewhere else, and it just lucky enough for me, it happened to be close enough when all this shook down, where it's kind of like musical chairs of your ability to stand and walk. And what would you wish you had pre-planned for that potentiality? And I luckily pre-planned a lot. And luckily, (laughs) I was thinking today it was 110 degrees. And I'm like, you know what? This debilitating condition that I now have, it really isn't taking much away from me because I've been this debilitated for three months. I've been in the same position, unable to move, unable to stand, it's just a different profile of pain and debilitation, but but it's been almost as, as painful and debilitating to, to lift myself up anyway because of what I've described before, which I learned about, which is called heat syncope, which in the, your body's mostly futile attempt to cool itself off, it opens up the smaller capillaries on the surface of the skin, creating a massive drop in blood pressure, and then being dehydrated, you have a loss of blood volume. So basically... You're, you have this deficit of blood that has become molasses and it's just boiling and trying to work its way to the surface to try to exchange with cool air on the outside of your skin, which doesn't exist because it's hotter on the outside of your, your skin and you're lucky if it's not humid so that sweat or application of water will result in some degree of cooling. But yeah, this is really the worst of all worlds and um and 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 i've said i said to some other folks i said you know this if if uh, yeah i'm just so lucky that this happened at the end of the summer not the beginning because even though today has been a is has been extremely torturous uh there's been a few days where i w- where i was like this i can ride this out because it's the end of summer but there is no way I could have gone into summer with this injury happening in the beginning of it. And it was all just based on the chaos of the climate and that that, that uh, tropical storm Hillary, which was the flood sport event that I engaged in. And so when I think about the value and the reason and the the why of that fight, I really think about how what I traded unknowingly to go into that beast mode was that I was that I gathered about half I was able to store and collect and gather and square away to prevent it from being evaporated about half of the rainwater that I actually captured and now that second half is basically just slowly evaporating from under a tarp that I can't get to anymore even though it's not that far away it's like a hundred feet away but I can't get to it. And if I did, I, I, would, I would just pass out. I wouldn't be able to even touch it. And all of those progressions, again, are in my YouTube videos of me going from, well, I can't squat to bail out this water in the pit of this tarp pond, so I've got to MacGyver up this pitchfork teapot so that I can just not bend my knees, not squat, and just stand and make a, a, a sort of very slow and deliberate motion, but even trying to lift one teapot of water into a funnel to go into a tank. 
that that destroyed me. So hopefully, hopefully the the heat breaks, and I will be able to slowly over time rescue some percentage of what's left. But what matters most to me and the trade that I feel is uh, a trade of a lifetime is that I didn't sign up to trade my ability to stand and walk for several hundred gallons that are now securely stored. I don't think I would have made that trade knowingly, but it is the trade that occurred Then I have to live with it. So what I'm going to how I'm going to stay positive with that is to say what that actually is going to um, be facilitate and be conducive to that I'm going to embrace is that I will actually with that water be able to assuming symptoms do not get worse and they remain stable and slowly but surely get better that water that I secured will be the water that I need to use for sanitation, hygiene, hydration, and crop production to maintain phytonutrients. And I need to do planting. And it's just going to be an extreme bonsai planting cycle with minimalistic water usage. But if the Taoist sort of magic of this whole scenario is that by pushing myself to the extreme beyond the point of most boot camp training, which this does happen to marching soldiers, that's kind of the other major arena where this occurs outside of of, of, of high endurance athletes um, for the exertional part, meaning that there's no, no impact. Yeah, if you're playing football and someone tackles you and they bash your thigh with their helmet, that's going to be acute compartment syndrome and they're going to drain it and you're going to be sidelined for however long. This is that, again, gray area borderline where it's just, let's say you're doing the ranger ruck run and then boom, you basically, you get hit by a train that is from the inside out because even if you were train, training for it, which in, which for me, it was the worst of possible scenarios because I was suffering from extreme atrophy, being bedridden for almost three months in the summer. And then I go from that state to trying to go into extreme hyper marathon, ruck run, athlete mode. I was asking for it. And so what does that mean? Yeah, obviously, I'm not going to make that bargain again. If I get my ability to walk and stand back, I'm going to be in beauty mode and not beast mode and say a few hundred gallons of water, which has literally cost me pennies from the water that I imported in from, you know, using my truck as a water truck. Yeah, that was basically like less than a couple of bucks less than a couple of US dollars of value of, of, of water that can be purchased in order to basically destroy the lower half of my body and be on my back for maybe another three months after already being on my back for three months. But the positive mental attitude, morale boosting kind of take I have on it is that 
it proves the thesis and it is the proof of concept that my methodology is correct. I just have to approach it differently. And if I become martyred for this experimental design, then I'm going to give myself a medal of honor whether anyone else does because I documented it very thoroughly in this format of the show. I've made great footage of it. Some of it got some traction on YouTube as far as people being interested in it. And if I can never do it again, the fact that I was able to successfully do it once to get at least eight out of 10 grade in the attempt of doing it on my own, that's a lifetime achievement accomplishment to where, yeah, I wouldn't, tr I, if, I, if I could go back in time, I would do it differently for sure. But if I have to accept it, I'm going to say to myself, think about all of the people in the third and fourth world, the climate and political and, and, and ethnic and religious refugees and migrants who, who don't have the freedom and the resources and the literacy and the training and whatever I have. And they've got families that they're caring for and they're dealing with traffickers. If I discover some life hack for remote survival that in any way uh, re relieves or mitigates the suffering of people less fortunate than me, then it was worth it. And to me, that's what it means to be heroic as a, as a warrior. So that's my mindset. That's the state of affairs. And I'm one week into this and the eggplant colored dark bruising from basically the almost the sole of my feet but surrounding the 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 the, the ball of my foot or the uh the heel of my feet and then running all the way up the back of my legs splotching on the front of my legs and then pooling in the darkest um the darkest uh uh, uh hues and thickest pools of blood being the back of the thighs and then uh, and then beyond, and I'll just leave the anatomical language uh, there and stop it there, but, <laughs> no pun intended, but the reality is this is going to be a slow process even in the best of scenarios because if it's just hematoma and it's just bruising, it can take a long time for for the for the 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 dead blood to be broken down by the body and to change color into a kind of a tannish yellowish color and eventually fade out right now it's that process if it's happening at all is happening so slowly that it's almost imperceptible and the state of my legs being constricted in terms of the range of motion and the sort of stiffness and woodiness of the muscles. Um, luckily, there was never a lot of swelling, swelling. There was a little bit of puffiness in a couple of places, but that's started to kind of mitigate and it was never that painful. It wasn't like throbbing, throbbing, um, swelling pain. Therefore, I felt, yeah, there, I, there's no way I would have been in the eight hour window to get surgery anyway, but the symptoms have been within the sort of bed rest, don't panic, you don't need to be hospitalized, 
where they're just going to sell you expensive drugs and rent you an expensive room and give you an expensive limo ride and bankrupt you. So, yeah, despite the people who, who, who there, was a, there are a few of my friends who get it and who, who, are, who are understanding that this is, an, this is a scenario to basically put all of your preps to the test, inside and out, your kit and your wits, your, you know, and that's what I'm doing. And uh, a couple of things that evolved since just the basic kind of logistical configuration where I could scoot up that, that, that bamboo handlebar and kind of be sure that I could take care of sanitation and hydration and nutrition and whatnot um, while otherwise being laid out for most of the days. Um, there was an evolution that occurred for me being able to um, do a little bit of an engineering hack of hydrology to get a to get some water filtration working in a in, in a temporary manner to buy me a little bit of time before having to do a very epic task, which I accomplished this morning that I'm going to get in, get into. But I made a video about that, and it was basically an ad- adapting a a uh, a water bottle filter that usually works with the filtration occurring through the suction of a straw coming out the top of the water bottle, like a sports bottle. But then obviously, if you were to try to, say, take a, what I have is, is uh, luckily I had, I had squared away uh, 40 gallons out of several hundred gallons that I actually restocked onto my truck um, as a bug out provision after I had already gravity siphoned hundreds of gallons from tanks on the truck over the course of months, slowly getting them down on the ground level so that the truck would be more spacious to operate in. Um, but then luckily it was like a survivalist kind of middle of the yeah shower moment or whatever. And I just realized like, wait a minute, you need to always be just because you're in your dream bug out location doesn't mean you 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 shouldn't be ready to 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 evacuate. I mean that's that's really complacent not to be squared away and able to be able know that your batteries are topped off that you can jump if you have to etc 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 and that you have the food and water and medicine and tools etc that you need. The bug out vehicle stands alone. You don't get lazy and complacent about it just because you turn it into a into a. a you know, a uh, part of a dwelling has to be backwards compatible as a emergency evacuation vehicle as well. So I had that inkling months ago and I started to think about this mantra of while you're able, do the things now that you won't be able to do if you become disabled. And that is the story of my life right now. So I had done myself, my future self was done a favor by my past self saying, never let there be less than 40 gallons of of the best quality water you have, even if, you, even if you're going to still want to do some, some filtration, if not purification, before you, before you consume it and have it be potable. So I would, not, I, w- I would be very, very desperate and be rolling the dice to drink the water that is basically just st- stale municipal water that's not filtered 
but that's how I store most of the water that I've imported. So I've got two grades. I basically have rainwater storage in, the, in, in hundreds of gallons at this point, and I have, I have the uh, remaining municipal water stored in tankage in hundreds of gallons. And so the procedure is, it's gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm, the low hanging fruit is to just have basic, modern, typical survivalist kind of um, industry standard uh, filtration devices to take the municipal water and filter it and not, not have to kind of be a little bit kind of weirded out or worried that, okay, I know that it's advertised nominally to be able to just block all bacteria, but do I really want this to be festering cesspit bog in my <laughs> filtration tank that's just always just festering and alive and just growing all kinds of uh, legionnaires and all kinds of other stuff? No, not, not necessarily. So if I have to resort to that, I will, but I'm going to take some other measures to do that. You know, use use other, maybe maybe boil, maybe other forms of sand and charcoal filtration, maybe more UV action, but, but definitely a multi-stage filtration process, not just a dump water in and drink it right when it comes out. That's, for me, that comfort comes from not lake water and pond water and gutter water. That comfort comes from maybe very clean catched rainwater, which I don't have that luxury. Um, my rainwater is commingling with all kinds of, all kinds of um, just uh, organic material, a lot of which I have to assume is fecal material from just what gets blown around in the desert. So, and whatever was alive that has been in that water since. So, yeah, being very judicious about that. Having done that foresight, having had that foresight, those 40 gallons of water that are in, in, in an elevated position is the saving grace right now. If that had not been done, it, almost, it would be almost impossible to get it done now. And now is the time where I've got to be the most cautious and the most reserved if I feel like I can start to push it a little bit, then yeah, I've got all those other hundreds of gallons and I'm going to have to get them up here. I'm going to have to replace those 40 gallons. But if those 40 gallons that were intended for an emergency evacuation bug out situation end up having to be a shelter in place bug in situation. Yeah, let's say that I had squared that away on the back of a truck and and in a, in a tornado or hurricane or a flood, sewage backed up and all of my water supplies in my main home, if I had a home, was nullified. But I had squared away a redundant, off, not, not technically off-site, but, but a, a um, displaced, displaced units of a backup that are not all eggs in one basket. That's the whole point. So I, give, I get an A for that. That is an A. That is an A plus prepper uh, foresight maneuver that I did in advance. Now, the, the the only sad thing about that maneuver is that yes, that water still needs to be slightly filtered. Luckily, another A that I give myself was designing my dwelling tiny home situation to basically be 
a fully functional med tent sort of aesthetically tucked away but by design yeah if I woke up one day and I could not move I would be able to with if I could at least move my arms I would be able to 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 uh, put a straw into a water storage tank and use a hand pump to put that into a water bottle and then use that water bottle filter to drink that water and because I had pre-planned that system I was able to apply it to the situation I'm in now which is to filter that that municipal water so I'm safe and confident to drink it and basically I took those two components and I daisy chained them so that they would be a, a single unit and that worked great until the water pressure in one of those 20 gallon uh, storage tanks dropped enough after using enough of the water to where the efficiency it just the, the hand pump in that line it just stopped kind of re reinflating itself and, and and kind of getting a bite into the water so whereas i was able to fill some gallon water jugs and rotate through them for a few days and have that be painful and arduous to sit upright to do that it it took it didn't take more than an hour to do that. Now it's at a point of the water pressure sort of differential to where I'm only getting drops when I used when I was getting streams. So the first thought that was an ad, that was an adaptation was to say, well, then just move from one to the other and get that low hanging fruit of good pressurization from the other can and hopefully by the time you get down to where the first can is you'll be able to do a, an epic rescue mission of my official full-scale water filtration tower which basically is a glorified I'm not going to shout out the brand name but it's basically two two filters that drop through a sort of reservoir that is sold off the shelf as a stainless steel kind of five gallon bucket size reservoir that sits on another stainless steel five gallon bucket size approximately a little bit less so there's different sizes but basically imagine two two slightly smaller five gallon buckets made out of stainless steel sitting on top of each other but snug from the the bottom one basically being able to hold the top one in place and then two filters which are cylinders about two inches wide and maybe 10 to 12 inches tall and they have a they have an outlet that goes through a drilled hole so that the upper reservoir chamber is is where the water you put into it gets slowly filtered through those cylindrical filters and it drips into that lower basin and that's where the spigot comes out of and that's where you have your filtered water. So people do this on the side of the sink. That's where I did it for years when I had the luxury. Um, and some people will do it camping and you theoretically can with mileage varying. Uh, use these in the outdoors with any any kind of water that's nominally what what it's about but of course it's going to get functified pretty fast so it's a continuum but what is a hack of that 
which I learned about from a mentor that I will say is the godfather of modern survivalism, but that I probably will not mention by name, um, just to keep all of our lanes kind of separated at this point. Um, just to be respectful, honestly, at this point. Um, I don't want to endorse. I don't want to be endorsed. I just want to give credit where it's due. And if you know who I'm talking about, then you have whatever you, opinion you have of them. But I'm not. I'm staying neutral. So, but I am tipping the hat, giving credit where it's due. Uh, so the hack of that system is to just literally take a plastic five-gallon bucket and buy the filters direct as replacement filters and save hundreds of dollars on the official setup, which is beautiful and ornate and very hygienic and very appropriate technology, this stainless steel system. But understandably, there's a, there's a cost. And there were times in my life where I was able to work with clients and have them buy it and for me to be able to thankfully use it. But I've never, I mean, no, that's never, I'm going to find the MacGyver way to hack that. And so to me, it was a no brainer to say, yeah, just you're filtering the water. That's the whole point. Yeah. Even if it's so-called food grade plastic buckets, what, what does that really mean? But if the filters work the way they're designed to work, they're coming out ultimately through through a plastic endpoint anyway. So it's not like there's no plastic, but hopefully the worst of the plastic leachates, as long as I wrap the damn thing in shade or I shade the thing so it's not just compounding plastic leachate that the filters are gonna wear out faster. I've got a, a five gallon bucket with two holes drilled in it and two filters placed in it the way exactly they would be as if it was stainless steel and then those drip into tiny little um uh stainless steel funnels that i that i got just to keep birds and bugs out and whatnot so the drops come down they go into the stainless steel funnel that rests on the top of a approximately a gallon a set of two gallon glass jugs and that is a tower that then sits upon a, a, a sort of small wooden table so that it's a good height to, to operate with. And that was my water tower. And there were big rocks on it to hold it in place. It was all wrapped up. There was still water in the bucket. The, 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 jar, the jugs were totally full of water. So the amount of the, the relationship that I now have to that much of a sort of scale of a of, of an installation I made a joke with a friend it's like for me everything is like being a medieval peasant marveling at the Roman aqueducts and just sort of chiseling away at it to build things for your little village homestead thinking how did those giants from another world build those marvels of those aqueducts so that's kind of how I had to feel about it for this last week thinking every day do I push it do I go try to to disassemble that tower it's not I'm gonna say tower is basically yeah it's up to my shoulders on a, on a normal day but now it's towering over me by it's like it's like a uh yeah, it's it's like it's like a giant aqueduct or or, or, or a giant uh, 
monument or something because I'm literally flat on the ground. I can barely reach it. So for me, I knew it's going to be an eventuality because I have to use that to survive. And I could not, the last thing I, ha I could possibly do was the most important thing I could do. And, and that left that project hanging. But what changed and what gave me the strength to do it this morning, of all things, was an interesting anecdote that I'm going to wrap up with, which to me is kind of like where this all really hits the soul. Because um, I could just be totally bitter and totally disgruntled and entitled and blame other people or try to find a way to blame anything, God, whatever, you know, anything other than myself. But I'm trying to take this as a, as an opportunity, the way that uh, Michael J. Fox in his interview with Charlie Rose after his book about being diagnosed with uh, Parkinson's was released and he revealed that he had been kind of trying to hide it for a number of years as an actor and whatnot. And, and he talked about it being the gift that keeps on taking, but that he's grateful for it because it takes it took away his ability to multitask, and now he has to fully focus on one task at a time. And so there's a sort of Zen mastery that comes out of it. And so he even says something like, "In order to be still, I had to lose the I had to lose the ability to to be still because it, it just slowed him down." And um, and he has to move forward with the positive mental attitude. That was in 2002 that that interview was done. And uh, I saw another another uh, video of him not, not too too long ago. But, I mean, one of the biggest childhood heroes and still biggest heroes to date for me. And um, it's all about that. Adapting to overcoming adversity and finding the silver lining and figuring out how to, how to, how to become a better person no matter what. And in his words, do the next right thing. And uh, there's a lot to a lot to learn from that. So I don't know how long this is going to last, but I know that it is humbling, and I know that it, that I can learn a lot from people like him, and, and 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 will forever have more respect than ever for people who who maybe aren't going to get lucky the way I might, and I might get I might just get out of this over time if I'm careful. But. So what happened today that that allowed me to say to myself it's going to be okay to very carefully, very slowly perform this and execute this operation to disassemble and painstakingly move every component of that pretty pretty minimal kind of system of just yeah a, a, a kind of a mini wood table platform and and this sort of scrap wood construction scaffolding to keep the bucket in place over the jars and, and some shimming with old tile material it was super rickety and had no real fasteners and so yeah, it was all. It, it took all I all I had not for it just not to fall over and and destroy and crush me and destroy me. And now it wouldn't have crushed me like a pancake, but it would have it definitely would have tore me up. So it was. I had to be extremely slow, extremely careful, yet extremely efficient because 
there's this continuum between the hope that there being some daylight before the sun is above the mountains, but it's, but there's daylight. So I feel like hopefully the nocturnal creatures, mainly the scorpions, have already burrowed away, given that there's some daylight, even though the full sun is not out. But at the very least, I'll be able to see and maneuver and they're not going to surprise me as much. But that's the small window of time between when there is the crack of dawn of light, but the sun is not actually line of sight to where it's now baking you even at five in the morning and maybe 90, between 90 and 100 degrees still. So that short window of opportunity, the heat syncope was minimal enough to where when I opened my eyes, I said, I'm going to do it today. And there's something about a, f a feeling of, of I could put it off, but, I'm, but I feel like I'm going to at least make the attempt. And if I have to back off, I'm going to back off. But the main adaptation that I applied was that I, I, I took a, a cardboard box, cut it in half. That gave me two cardboard, basically sled sheets about two, maybe one and a half or to two foot uh, wide by two and a half to three foot long each. And so that I could scoot on one scoot onto the other and rotate them and get myself from point A to point B over the course of about a a 40 foot round trip or something that had to be crossed back and forth a few times again just crab crawling basically across the cardboard but it's also an area that has a lot of glass and nails and twigs and all kinds of rusted metal randomness rebar and springs and all kinds of stuff from this place having fallen apart. So if I'm gonna sc scrub myself along that, I, I got wise to use that cardboard and I was able to pull off, pull it off huffing and puffing, but all without standing up. And it was an, it was an achievement. And now it's reassembled it's within arm's reach and it's perfectly repositioned so that it can do the job it needs to do. And I won't have to be at such great risk even if I have to deploy the same methodology now to go and retrieve water to fill it up with for it to filter through that there's still, those still the, the hundreds of gallons of water are still gonna for now require that if I want access to it I'm gonna have to basically do that same thing and uh, the good news is is that the mission was possible that it was accomplished that it did not it did not seem to harm me and I was able to recover from it even though it was it was extremely extremely difficult and what I want to the sort of um the soulful part that I want to end that on uh, is the fact that I believe that the that the grace and the energy and the power and the magic that 
I was able to manifest to do that this morning, it came from the fact that it was so hot last night that I just said, I'm not even going to fight it anymore. I'm just going to stay up till midnight when, when, when it's possible for me to even actually sleep for more than a nanosecond before I wake up with my face on fire because of the physiological processes of your body fighting the heat. So I just had kind of discovered that it's around midnight, which means that, yeah, there's basically about a five-hour window of even then still tossing and turning and not really getting deep REM sleep and being kind of insomniac and, and tortured by it. But, be, but in that time, I said, okay, well, I'm just going to kind of relax and meditate. And I, and I put Karate Kid on just playing the audio of that in the in the background and just saying I'm not gonna fight it, I'm not gonna try to knock myself out and go to sleep. I'm just gonna really listen to it. And there's something that's very different that happens in my experience now where I'm more often than not, either because I'm multitasking or doing office work, I will just put a movie on in the background and I really won't visually pay attention to it or I'll minimize the window or whatever. And then now I'm kind of like it's a crutch mentally for me to put movies on and listen to them at night just with the screen off but just play the the audio of it and you really get a lot more i mean there's something to be said for watching a film with the with the sound off so that you can get the full artistic intentionality of the the dp and the director and the cinematographer and the props and the production designer all that stuff so i'm saying I see the value in both, but for right now, what's just by what, what's happening for me by default is just more of a leaning into appreciate of of just being being forced to really appreciate the genius of the dialogue and the scripting a lot more. And so there's a lot of things, a lot of nuance that you just kind of because you're more fixated visually. That's just bigger th- bigger chunk of what's going on in your in your mind's eye. Literally, is just like shiny things and people's faces and expressions so a lot of what people say in dialogue and films it's very integral but it's almost like subliminal the way that goes in so the writers just kind of know what has to be there but but it's but they know it's not getting really processed 100 percent at the conscious level but when you take away the visual and you listen to the audio and now i don't know how many times i've listen to Karate Kid in the background while working so I would be sampling even less of it than if I was just sitting down and watching the movie and it's just a sort of ambiance of the soundtrack and the characters just kind of snippets of it kind of as I'm multitasking but this time I was really meditating on it because I had to I was just again debilitated by the heat unable to sleep and what else am I going to do? I'm going to get a headache if I try to just do anything productive on my phone at this point. So I'm going to veg out and just listen and pay attention. And I can't praise it enough as just a masterpiece of Eastern wisdom informing Western um, irritable, sort of unbalanced everything. Yeah, everything that's obvious about it. But how astute it was for its time and how timeless it is even today, how much I appreciate the commentary that I've heard from the actors and producers and whatnot, directors, I believe, 
they were all in on on a commentary session, which just was amazing. And I've seen outtakes and whatnot, and it was a big influence on me as a martial artist and just as a man and a boy. But uh, now, in terms of the arc of the ages of the characters, I'm sort of in between Daniel's son and and Mr. Miyagi, and I'm trying to be the 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 crease aged sort of um, light side rather than shadow side. But I, but I feel like um, I need to. Oh, well, I have to approach it from the age that I'm at now, and I'm not a. I'm not going through those growing pains of high school drama, and I'm not an old man who is sort of without a family and kind of just passively being available to be to provide mentorship where it's needed, and to be a healing artist and a martial artist and and all these good things. Um, but obviously, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't really matter what I think about it. It speaks for itself. I mean, it, all these things, it, it just totally speaks for itself. But what it did for me last night was it made me really think about how beat up I feel. And I, in fact, had a <clears throat> recurring, pretty extreme bloody nose that forced me to just even be more acutely awake and aware of myself dealing with the drainage and trying to kind of plug it up with some turmeric infused water and a hopefully as sterile as possible paper towel and um and just sit there going like yeah I'm I'm as laid up as any scene of the worst of Danielson getting beaten up uh by that gang of bad boys or the or the, the accidents that they induced upon him, that injured him. And uh, just thinking of things like, yeah, they, he was, they beat him up, left him on the beach, even his new friends that brought him there just said, oh, he'll be all right. And, and I was thinking, how did they assume that he would ever find a way home from that scenario? They don't know if, they didn't check on him. They didn't know if he could stand. They didn't know if he had a ruptured spleen or anything. It was just like kids beating each other up and assuming that they're made out of rubber and it doesn't matter. And that's just all day, every day, everywhere in the world. And uh, I, I luckily avoided the worst of it, though. I had my scrapes here and there. But I'm thinking about that and I'm thinking about all the ways in that film that he got brutalized and all the ways that Mr. Miyagi was able to kind of intervene and keep him operating and connecting him deeper with the Japanese would call ki, Chinese would call chi, Indian might call prana. And then, of course, there's different, less popularized esoteric energy traditions from around the world, but those are the more popularized ones, certainly in the, in the martial arts film genre kind of epistemology but there I was bloody nose can't sleep because it's so hot in the middle of the night can't walk can't stand up and I'm like I'm 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 basically in the same condition as as is what what Danielson finds himself in several times throughout the film and yet Mr. Miyagi is able to anchor him into this deeper place of source not to be 
not, not to out of some sense of machismo or bravado, but in a deep sense of peace from having learned how to trim bonsai trees and find balance and do wax on, wax off and breathe and focus and all that good stuff. And with a little bit of sort of hands-on Reiki style energetic healing work that that Mr. Miyagi did in, in the final scenes to ki- to keep him able to fight to the end with major injuries that could that he shouldn't have been standing up on he did the crane kick and he won the day and so for me I don't want to say that by some sort of psychological placebo I was like borrowing the will of the characters in that story but I will say that um something magical occurred and in those five hours of tossing and turning between midnight and the first light that I could operate in before the sun came out, I was able to have long thermal pants on that gave me a layer of protection. I was able to have a, a, socks on. It was just slightly cool enough to put on those first layers and then a long sleeve shirt. So I felt this is the moment to seize and I'm going to, I'm going to just anchor in my, the energy I was feeling transmitted from that film and I'm going to make an effort to execute this mission knowing that there's no one to impress, there's nobody watching. I don't technically have to do it because I can kick the can a little bit further but something in me said this is not about proving something yourself. It's not about gambling with the potential that you could, that this is the critical moment where you should not be taking any risks because you, because only until certain indicators happen where you know you're getting a lot better and that's proving out significantly, this is the time where if you think you can get away with something, you're going to set yourself back either a lot or 100% or basically set yourself back to the point of you're not going to recover, you know. So that's a window that I don't, that's different for everyone in every different situation. However, there was just this pocket of grace that occurred this morning that I attribute to my consumption and meditation on that film to where it was like, yeah, rationally, it would have been extremely criminally negligent for Mr. Miyagi to to manipulate and conspire to to kind of facilitate Danielson violating physics and medicine in all kinds of different ways in order for the most redemptive spiritual outcome to manifest <laughs> and, uh, and that was just social violence that was just high school drama. For me, this is literally off-grid, off-road, alone, life and death, high stakes, record temperatures, heat wave, desert survival on a razor's edge, where if I make one mistake, I'm literally dead because I'm way out of the golden hour of medical emergency uh, system support. So that's that. So you never know I would say where you get that uh, second win from. But for me, it was a graceful thing. And I felt like 
I, I wrote myself my own man card today for having done that. And it wasn't a real macho symbolic kind of thing. It was just a understanding that, well, maybe someday if the stakes were even higher, like it wasn't just me moving that water tower. It was like me moving a human being who was bleeding out to where I needed to put a tourniquet on them, even though I couldn't stand or walk. But I figured out a way to drag myself over to them to do it that I wouldn't just go, no, I can't, I can't risk myself. I got to let them bleed out and die. I would be able to know, no, if, if it's possible to, to pace yourself and to implement a little bit of kit to protect yourself, that it is possible to find the psychological and spiritual resilience in order to find the way, just like the crane kick itself, it was like the most elegant thing. It didn't require a lot of energy. He could see that's even, that's probably the best arc of this is to say the crane kick technique was not this crazy Street Fighter II jump spinning in the air for 10 seconds of hang time with 50 different strike surface knee and ball and heel of the foot kind of Ken and Ryu Street Fighter maneuver. It was him basically in a limp, limping position using all that he had to do this very elegant kind of like laughable where people were laughing at him because it looked so bizarre what he was doing. But to me, that's the magic of this elegance is and the magic and the elegance of the the sort of um, grace of Mr. Miyagi is the sense of like power versus force and the sense of the deep reservoir of on a level of alignment with healing energy to where power versus force can win the day with elegance and technique that's trained for mentally and physically. And that's where I'm going to leave it. Cheers. Cheers.